Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here with episode 307 and part two of my conversation with recent Mizzou Masters of Percussion graduate, Emily Micklin. We'll check back in with her shortly. We are in class that has happened at Mizzou. We made it. Bandcamp with Marching Mizzou concluded successfully with performances for our first roar for the new freshman students and our annual Concert on the Quad performance Sunday night to close out band camp. It was a successful week plus, and we're in rehearsals right now to get to our first game in a week. And as such, let's jump right back into our conversation with Emily Micklon. Last week in part one... We got to hear about Emily's time as a student at Mizzou, her full range of activities while here, her path to getting to Missouri from Connecticut, and her time at Eastern Connecticut State University. This week in part two, we'll hear about Emily's plans for the future, which will involve travel to and study in the country of India. Plus, we'll get to the usual close to our podcast. So let's get to it. We recorded this portion of the interview with Emily over Zoom on May 16th and August 4th, 2022, and it begins right now. Uh, So, Emily, tell me what is going on for you this upcoming year. Yeah, so this upcoming year, I uh, am actually traveling to South India to do some study. It's through a Frank Huntington BB grant. So they, I was, um, I went through just a process of kind of applying to different grants and fellowships, and was um, lucky enough to receive that one. So I'll be going over to Chennai, South India, to study Carnatic music, and specifically, I'll be studying Murdangam, which is the drum that is specific to. Uh, the Carnatic music tradition. So how did you first think about this being the next step after your time at Mizzou? I always knew that I wanted to spend a time abroad, like a, a, a extended period of time. Dr. Arns um, would always tell me about her time in Jordan when she was halfway through, I think it was halfway through her DMA. And I knew that was just something that I really wanted to do was to go somewhere, experience a new culture and learn I love non-Western music. I, I really, most of the reason, I mean, half the reason I went to Mizzou was for the, the non-Western experience. And I feel like COVID kind of took some of that away because I really wanted to travel to Ghana every single year. <laughs> I never got to go because, you know, even after, even when the trip was going to run, we couldn't get enough people signed up because enrollment was just low from COVID. And so I really thought this would be a good time for me to go do something like this kind of in between after my master's. I know eventually I think I want to get a DMA, but I think I, I did not feel like this was the right time for me to jump right into a DMA study. And I just kind of wanted to see what else could be out there. So I started it during um, the pandemic. I started learning a lot of frame drum and I was taking classes with Yusuf Shronik um, up in New York virtually. And, you know, him and Glenn Velez use a lot of conical to guide the the study of of frame drums. So that was the first time I'd been exposed to conical. Um, And then I did some digging myself and and kind of just read up more on on South Indian 
rhythmic principles. And we use a lot of South Indian rhythmic cycles and principles in our frame drumming. So that's really where I started getting getting attracted to that, that style of drumming. In order to try to figure this year out, or however long you were going to try to do this, what were the ways that you were trying to get funding or try to make it a viable option for you to do? So I did, I started actually a year ago t- today. Um, I remember sitting, well, actually, I think Dr. Arns was like in an airport and we had a conversation over the summer and I was trying to figure out, you know, where I could go and wh- how I could get that funding to do it. Cause I knew I would very likely need to be funded to justify it just a year spent, spent abroad. So I started a year ago reaching out to the people that I'm going to go study with now. And I got, you know, immediate responses like, yes, we're willing to help. We just need more information. I started applying to Fulbright. Um, so I pl- actually, I applied to three funding sources. It was a Fulbright, um, a, a grant through Mizzou actually called the Mark Twain Fellowship, uh, which is just funded by trustees at Mizzou and, and alumni. And then uh, the last one was the Frank Huntington BB. What are the processes for putting together a whatever it is, a program, um, I guess a proposal? What's involved yeah. to even make those documents, even make your trip a viable thing for them to consider funding? Yeah, that's a good question. It was a great, actually looking back now, it was a crazy year because <laughs> I was doing all of that. And then I actually had applied to doctor programs as well. But so I, a year ago, I started working with um, the person that I am going to go study with. And uh, I would send over a document like, this is what I'm thinking about. This is the commitment that I would need from your end. This is how Fulbright structures. Because at first, the first one I did was Fulbright. Um, this is how Fulbright structures the affiliation between me and the school. This is what it would look like. And we just kind of went back and forth a couple of times and said, yep, this is going to look good. And then immediate, I mean, as soon as August of last year, I had to get recommendation letters from Fulbright. Um, put together just kind of like a basically a year-long proposal of what I would be doing in South India. So it took a, a lot of um, just reading up on the things that maybe I didn't know about that tradition and about the drums specifically and a lot about what happens in the uh, in Chennai. Like there's a festival in December. I remember I, I think I talked to like three past... I, I googled all the Fulbrighters I found them on the website, all the percussionists that have ever gone to Chennai or any musician that had, had traveled to India. And I had phone calls with them to talk about Chennai, talk about Murdangam, talk about um, the Fulbright process. And everyone was just so nice. I think by October, I was officially submitted to Fulbright, but it took that, that uh, application was a lot. That one is just always wild because it's like, it's all of those documents, affiliation letter from the the school you're going to go study at or the people you're going to go study with, multiple recommendation letters, proposals, personal history, you know, goals, and then it's also um, an artist profile. So essentially, putting together all of these videos of what you do, and of course, some of it has to relate to what you want to go do. So I ended up taking lessons with a past Fulbrighter that had studied Murdangam and a couple lessons here and there with um, someone that studied in South India, just so I could have um, a little stronger of a portfolio for, you know, some conical that I could show and, and just so I could get more of a grasp of the vocabulary before I go over there. 
So that was Fulbright. And then um, I think my Mark Twain application, a lot of it came out of Fulbright. And the BB application did as well. But the, um, the BB application, it was multiple rounds of auditions and interviews. So that was uh, quite expensive as well. An internal award like the Provost Award seems pretty standard. I think most people are aware of Fulbright and because it's it's kind of got a big name. But how did you discover the BB Prize, which is the one that you you actually won? What what yeah. tell me a little bit more about the history of that award? Um, I had a friend here that told me about it at Mizzou, and because. Uh, it was, it was funny at the same time. I was like, well, I'm applying for a Fulbright. He's like, me too. And I had heard about the BB through him and a couple other musicians before. But then I was like, well, if I don't get the Fulbright, maybe I should apply to all these other ones. So, And where is it? Like, it's out of Boston, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a private trust uh, out, of, out of Boston. And there's um, a really great, great board of trustees that I was able to meet via interview. And um, yeah, a really cool program. They, I, they send... I mean, if you look at the alumni list, it's hard to find out there. But I mean, I know like Molly Joyce. I think Molly Joyce is a Fulbright. There's like a bunch of people that I are not a Fulbright, a, uh, a BB. There's a bunch of people that I don't know about or I didn't know about at first that had, had gone through a BB. And um, the only thing about the BB award is it has to be your first time of extended study abroad. So and I think you have to be under 30 you said that one's multiple rounds. So what's the, what was the timeline for you to get it? Um, I think I applied in December. I remember it was around Christmas time. And then I think around uh, March or February, somewhere around there, I was notified that I was a semifinalist. And then I submitted a round of videos. So that's when, at first, it's just the proposal for this award. Then it was the video round where you you submit a, a portfolio of videos of you playing, and then and what are you um, playing? Yeah, I played everything. I, I mean, I had a bunch of samples of me doing a chamber work that I had done. I mean, everything was recorded throughout the pandemic, so I just kind of took little pieces. I at that point I was um, notified that I was a semi finalist for Fulbright, so made it through to some auditions in my DMA process. So I felt really confident about the videos that I had submitted for those applications. So I took a lot of those since I had advanced in, in those in those processes and I put those in there. I re-recorded some Carter and just some like some De La Cruz and some uh, Tompkins or something just to show that I can play snare drum too. And I put some frame drum in there, some recital videos. Uh, yeah, just like a little bit of everything. But yeah, there's a final between, round where you it's like is it interviews and yeah it's either COVID COVID has kind sure. of um, everything's been a little bit different because of COVID and they're still rebuilding after not being able to do live interviews sure. so I ended up not actually going into Boston but I did do an extensive interview process um, yeah and that's with is that with like ten like a like a whole lot of people are you you're uh, they're just kind of grilling you about what like your plans or stuff like that. Yeah, I think it was it was just um, the trustees on the board, and um, they were they were really nice, and um, they just want I think really they just want to make sure that your project is is doable and it makes sense and it's going to be successful. I think, and and really I feel like that was it for all of the all three of the grants when I got to either the interview process or uh, the the point where I didn't advance any further. They really just want to make sure that everything 
is you are the perfect person to do this thing. And yeah. So the, I mean, everyone's, if it's a really cool process to go through. I think everyone you'll find that when you talk to them face to face, everyone wants you to go do this thing, mm-hmm. but usually they can only pick one person to go do it. <laughs> sure. So they they all just are, are super encouraging. They just really want to make sure that it, it will be done. It can be done. It will be successful. And it's going to contribute to both the people that you're going over to be with and, and your future and whoever you're going to impact in your future as well. I'm curious because I'm sure that you and people who are in your position who are going up for these are going for things at the same time, I, I would assume. Yeah. So yeah. Do, I don't know if you know this or if this is if this is something you could talk about, but do do these other – do like the BB know that you're going up for a full – like do you know what I mean? Are they – yeah. they ask you that? Is that something that they're – that they consider? Do you know? I don't know. Um, I remember the only one that that played a role in was um, in the Mark Twain application. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think they knew who was when once we got to the finalist round, they knew which which one of who of us among the group uh, were still waiting to hear back from a Fulbright. So they they would say, you know, we're not going to make our decisions until we hear back from Fulbright because we can't give this award to someone who's also going to get a Fulbright. It was the same thing. I mean, with BB, it was like, you can't take any money. If you get a Fulbright, you, you can't take our awards. You have to choose between the two. And I do know um, someone else that got the BB was also in the same boat as me waiting to hear back from a Fulbright, I believe. So, um, yeah. And if I remember correctly, timeline-wise, the the BB was the last one, right? That of terms Yeah. Of, right? It was. It was. It was like... And it was late too. Yeah, it was a wild ride. I really just had to learn how to be patient and yeah. trust that, you know, if this all didn't work out, then something else would. And it was, yeah, it was, I'm like usually a very uh, like calculated person. Like I always have my next move like months in advance. So this was really, <laughs> this is so hard for me, but it was, it was honestly such a good experience because it, it built a lot of patience and yeah. So where were you and what was your reaction when you found out? Did, you, did they find out? But is it an email? Did they call you? How do you? How yeah, it was an email. Actually, it was so funny because um, I did, I think my finals interview was over the weekend and then it was Monday and all day Monday. I think it was like three weeks before graduation or something. And I was like, I am so stressed out. I've been doing this for so long. <laughs> and I was just like, the anxiety was just running through my body. And I was like, I, ha- well, I know when I get that way, I have to go to yoga. So I was like, I'm going to yoga. I like, dr- I had stuff to do. I dropped everything and I just like went to yoga. Mm-hmm. And I, it's so funny. I like had this moment in yoga where I felt just like very at peace. And I was like, if I do get this award, cause I was still thinking like, you know, I mean, I, I was definitely going to take the award if I had gotten it, but I was just nervous about everything and the change. And so I was just like, whatever happens will happen. But I do think that this is like the next step for me. And I, I finally had this moment where I was like, this feels right. I feel like this is where I'm going to go. And then I walked out of yoga and checked my phone and I got gotten the acceptance email. So it was like, I, I love yoga. I always, it probably wasn't that big of a moment, but it felt like a big moment <laughs> to me. So, yeah. You have this very peaceful meditative yoga session and then you're just like, <laughs> yeah i and I, I read the email and i was like okay here we go i was like okay i'm gonna do this so yeah yeah so i always have to whenever like i mean obviously it's been it's so stressful to 
um, I think the thing with the the BB award that's different is you they really trust you to do everything on your own. So once you give them this proposal, if they really think that you can do it alone, then you do. And it's not it's not anything too crazy, but obviously moving to a new country, finding housing. Um, for me, I had to go through a, a long visa application process, and I was doing it all by myself. And um, that built a lot of confidence and strength too. So yeah, yeah, it was a really exciting moment. And uh, I'm I'm really thankful that this award is is still a thing and is funding people to go to go abroad and, and do this. Yeah. Are there stipulations in terms of is there supposed to be like a final project? Is there is there, is there something that they that BB expects from you because they've given you this award? Yeah, we we submit quarterly reports on our progress, um, and a lot of a lot of people that use this award, you don't have to be enrolled in a program, but a lot of people do enroll in a program. So, and I will be enrolled in a program, so it'll it'll really just be um, uh, updating about my progress, learning Murangam, and 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 learning about this tradition of music, and maybe what performances I've been able to do, and um, I'm hoping to keep there is no final product necessarily besides the certificate that I'll receive at the end of it. But I'm hoping to keep, um, I, I, I put some final products in my proposal for Fulbright and, uh, and the Mark Twain that I'm hoping to, to keep up with just like, uh, keeping in touch with Mizzou studio and doing some collaborate virtual collaboration with, with their, uh, non-Western percussion ensemble and, and yeah, and just keeping a video, at least a video diary of, of what I'm doing over there so that I can have those memories. How long is your time in NDS? A year. Yep. And I think my program is about 10 months. So so around 10 months to a year, but I, I have my visa for a full year. So that's that's pretty cool because you're the planning type. Have yes. you been sketching out where else, what you might be doing with your time aside from, I assume that you're not going to be drumming 24 seven. I mean, you can, yeah. it's fine. I'm not, no, no yeah. judgment. I'm just saying you're also going to be in India. <laughs> I know. Well, this is so funny because, um, this is the, this will be a huge change of pace for me. I, I think, I mean, I think, uh, I'm definitely leaving some room to account for how big of an adjustment it's going to be because I, I know that's going to take a toll for sure. But um, I can't work on a student visa <laughs> and I'm used to, if I'm not like, I'm always working like yeah. during grad school, it was like 14 hour days every day. So yeah. this is going to be very different. I think even if I do spend most of my time drumming, I'll still have some extra. I brought a lot of, um, I brought mallets and a bunch of marimba solos and, and snare books. So they have Western facilities. So I'm hoping to practice a lot of Western stuff as well. Um, I already found a yoga studio that I want to go to, of course. And um, I'm bringing a pickleball racket so I can meet, <laughs> yes. meet some people playing pickleball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got a, my, my stepmom's got me really into pickleball. So I, I'm hoping, and it's really big over there. So I'm hoping, and it's all young people and I'm going to need friends. So yeah. And then of course, I'm hoping that people will visit me so I can travel to different parts of India, but um Day-to-day yoga, pickleball, <laughs> eating, finding, I've been, you know, Googling every restaurant I can find in the area. So, yeah. Fantastic. What what part of of India is Chennaian? 
it is southeast, right on the beach. So there is, um, I'll be right on water, and um, it's it's pretty south. It's a big country, if I remember correctly. It is. I know it is. Because even like I met a family actually that was traveling to Bangalore not too long ago, and I was like, "Oh, that's right near Chennai," and they're like, "Not really." I was like, "You're right. You're right." This <laughs> 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 is on a map. It looks it looks close, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it would be but like, it some, south, yeah. yeah, it'd be like somebody um, coming to the U.S. and they'd be like, hey, I'm going to be in St. Louis. Or, and you're like, well, I'm in Connecticut. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's not happening. But thank you. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's so funny. So. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, Emily, I finish up with a segment called Random Ask Questions. Oh, I like that. All right. <laughs> First question is. What's an issue yeah. in either percussion performance or percussion education that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts? Oh man, I'm going to say something and then I'm going to think of something so much better later. Okay, <laughs> sure. okay I'm gonna, I'll am i say this for now because I still see it happening. I hate when girls in high school are never put on snare drum and they're always on mallet keyboard. I think that still happens. Yeah. And it's like, it's and maybe it's just because the boys growing up had drum set lessons and they were more likely to be on snare because they were good at it. But I, I still see bands not rotating and uh, I think that needs to happen. So that drives me nuts, I guess. Yeah. Your experience, you, well, you were basically asked to play mallets yeah. first, right? Yeah. You were, you were brought on because of your piano background, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Again, thinking back here. So when you were doing all that, you I know, I think you had said, I really want to do other, like, I don't want to yeah. just do this. <laughs> right. Right. And it's so funny. And I, I not, you know, I, I remember I said, you know, I want to be on drum line. And, and someone had said, someone in charge at the time had said to me, well, the drums are pretty heavy for girls to carry. So I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. I guess I'll stay on marimba. <laughs> I definitely have the ability with the people that were there at the time. I definitely had the ability to to do to learn at a quicker rate than the people that were in line to be on drum line. So I was like, I could do. It. They're like, you could carry it, but it's just going to be really hard for you. Like we find that it's harder for girls. And I was like, okay, right. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that was that was like what ten years ago. So I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully, band directors aren't saying that anymore. Yeah. I don't know. But and, and it's also, you know, you know, now it's you you could I feel like that, that's an easy interrogation in some ways to just be like, oh, uh, but no boys are have any problems with carrying yeah. anything. That's good. Yeah. I'm like, but the, those boys are smaller than me. So it's like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I hope that's not an excuse now. I Yeah, but we'll, I don't know. I'm sure some places, but yeah. All right. Next question. What is an item of clothing that you have that is um, it's in your closet and it's you, there's no reason for you to have it, but you're like, it's still there. And I and I love it. I don't know. I have this I have this pair of like hippie pants. <laughs> I have a couple pair of hippie pants. Hippie pants. Yeah. That like one of them was a Halloween costume and like I should have gotten rid of it, but they're they're like just floral stretchy pants. And I'm like, I just love those. And then I bought it. <laughs> I was like, I can't get rid of them, but I'm never going to wear them. But then I bought this other pair of floral stretchy pants from Target. And I was like, 
I was like, I'll definitely wear these. And then I was like, I never wore them because they're too cold. <laughs> but I love them, but they're just, they're a statement. <laughs> they're, they're gonna stay there. I was like, I was like, well, I teach every day. So, and I just feel like my students are really going to comment on these all day long. <laughs> so I think I'll wait a little bit till I uh, am not teaching one day. <laughs> <laughs> whenever <Yeah>. that is. <laughs> yeah. Whenever that is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Oh all right. God. Has anyone ever nailed an impression of you? And if so, how they do it? Oh, my friends do this all the time. What are they, what, what part are they, are they doing? Well, you know, we all we used to play. The, actually, at Pasic, we were playing this um this game where you like draw pictures and people have to guess like what it is. It's like a it's online, and people would oh, draw. Oh, I know. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, it's like, great! I love it. Drawful. Yeah, drawful. Or like, there's the knock. Uh, there's another version of it, like Scriblio or something like yeah, that. Yeah. No, but drawful. Yeah. So and uh, they, in, if they wanted to show me, they would just show like a girl like with marimba mallets and like a a purple purse it was always the purple purse that they knew is me because i <laughs> i always have like a big bag that's like yeah. overflowing with stuff and at the time it was purple so everyone's like oh that's emily because the purple purse <laughs> so yeah <laughs> purple purse emily i guess <laughs> that's good i yeah. love that game it's a, yeah it's fun. so much fun i i remember we had like a bunch of people at pizza playing it and it's just so much fun yeah yeah yeah. Biggest kitchen mess up. There's been so many. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I've had to throw out so many meals in grad school <laughs> because I, I, I started cooking in the pandemic cause I didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. And I will say my instant pot meals were never a mess up. I did a very good job with all of those. Mm. Um, actually no, the first instant pot meal was a huge mess up. I didn't even know how to turn on my instant pot. So it just never cooked. And then I, I had friends over and I like served the soup to them. They're like, I don't think this cooked. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> I don't think it did either. <laughs> so that's definitely one. But there were so many meals on stovetop meals are like not my forte. Uh-huh. And I would just burn chicken like all the time and set fire alarm. <laughs> all the doors would be open. Mm-hmm. With a towel at the smoke alarm, like trying to fan it. <laughs> so. Are you a? Are you a like this has to be cooked all the way through? Like, are you one of those? Yes. Which, you, which so it I, does. I mean, that's the, it, I'm not... yeah. It's like, is that? I should be like that, right? <laughs> I was right. Like, that's, yeah, yeah. That's but like I'm like very scared that I'm not going to cook something all the way through because I mean I remember one time I made pancakes in grad school and they were just not cooked and I was like, oh my god, this is disgusting. I can't eat this. <laughs> So yeah, <laughs> I'm trying, you know, one day I'll get, when I have more time, that's a goal of mine is to get better in the kitchen. I can, I can make my way around, but mm-hmm. not very efficiently. So <laughs> yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. All right. What is a great movie and what is a terrible movie? This is the worst question for me, Dr. Zambito, because I don't watch movies. <laughs> my, actually that's my friends. That's when they make an impression of me. They always say I'm Emily and I don't watch movies because <laughs> that's always what I say I'm like I don't people are talking about movies I'm like I don't watch movies I don't have a tv actually mm. I have a tv all of grad school which I know it's probably annoying to say out loud because people <laughs> tell me I'm being well, it's true it's okay it's true yeah, yeah it's true 
I did. Okay. I will say this though. My friends also make fun of me because if I do watch a movie, I'll be like, this is so good. Did you know that this movie existed? They're like, yeah, I've seen it five times. So I watched, I watched Pretty Woman, a classic last two nights ago and I fell in love with it. I was like, this uh-huh. is such a movie. I was like, did you guys know that this existed? They're like, yeah, <laughs> it's been around forever. So really like that. Um, My I wife will be very excited. You said that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like crying. I was laughing. I was like, this is, this is a great movie. I see why people. Yeah, I think it's actually maybe one of my favorites, but mm-hmm. it's a short list of movies I've seen. Um, <laughs> I don't like, I remember, I don't like very uh, like graphic things. So I remember I saw like The Revenant like years ago. <laughs> and I was so upset. I was just like, why? My brother took me. I was like, why would you think I would have liked this? I hated it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a not good movie for, for Emily. But. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, what's a favorite book? Ooh, yeah, that's a good question. I was talking with someone about this recently. I haven't read a book that I I haven't read a, a pleasure book in since the pandemic. But I really like biographies, mm. autobiographies. So I really loved Michelle Obama's book. Mm. Uh, that's a good one. Probably one of the most recent. I oh, I was reading. Um, uh, uh, Johnny Cash's biography for school, actually, and I really loved that. I was surprised mm. by how much I like that. Yeah, I have a whole stack of books in my room that I haven't read in grad school that I bought in grad school and haven't read. So hopefully afterwards, I'll be reading a little bit more, but we'll see. Yeah. It's when it begins. I know. Hopefully. <laughs> we have all these unread books. So half of them were read during the pandemic. And um, I like reading like, uh, like I read like Jessica Simpson's autobiography. Like mm-hmm. I like really like fun stuff that just like is not. Yeah. So I, I, I like reading, I read it for the John Mayer drama and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, yeah. that's, that's funny. My, um, cause my, that's my, my wife's thing is she write she reads so much like academic stuff yeah, and, and her research and all this that when she, when she reads for pleasure, it's, uh, young adult fiction and, yeah um it's like romances it's it's yep. kind of like the the easy like that uh, murder mysteries like it, yep. it's the stuff that's just kind of like she could just take it or leave it and she has to right. think a lot about exactly that's what i like too mm-hmm. that's really like yeah yep so it makes oh, sense yeah. with the jessica simpson yeah i heard she had another one that's on my Ooh. list <laughs> like i'll read it i'll read yeah, it yeah <laughs> nice What's a, a thing, um, and it could be pop culture or just could be just an activity or something where if you meet someone for the first time and they say, oh, I like blank, whatever that is. And you immediately are like, we're good. Yeah. What's that for you? Oh, that's such a good question. I feel like that happened with music so much, you know? Yeah, this is a hard one. Because I'm thinking about all my friends. I know what it would be for them. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> for me, what is it? Yeah. I mean, I really love yoga. So if someone says okay. they like really like yoga, but like most people do, I feel like. But if someone's like, I love yoga, I'm like, yeah, I, I that's definitely it. Or like coffee or like certain craft beers. If people are like really into certain coffees or craft beers, I'm like, okay, this will work. <laughs> this will work. Yeah. Yeah. So does it have to be a specific coffee? Or is it just that they like coffee? 
I like coffee. That's so broad. So yeah. usually, you know, if I meet someone that like really likes like sours and like hazy IPAs, I'm like, okay, this is good. Uh, yes. I don't know. But yeah. Or do yeah. they, are they, do they have to like, uh, whole versus ground? Are you someone who, who needs or? Oh. I am so not picky about that, but I will say if someone gets Starbucks on a daily basis, <laughs> they can probably re- relate to my chaotic life. <laughs> so that, that'll fit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or you know what though, actually when someone says they have a Subaru Forester, I'm like, <laughs> <"We're> friends. yeah. <laughs> or if they like really like Subarus, I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Subarus. That works too. I love, I love my Subaru Forester. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, she's that's on a, her way out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be missed. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Do you have a sports fandom? No. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, yeah, like I have to say, I like the Patriots, I feel like, because I'm East Coast. I know. <sighs> but I've got a lot of heat for that out here. So yeah. <laughs> I, I don't really watch sports. So I'm like, Perfect. yeah. I didn't think you did, but I was curious yeah. because it's funny like that area of the country is so um, pro sports centric. Yes. Versus yes. versus college. where we are here. Right. It's so funny. Yeah, because we don't have like huge college games up there that are right. like really. Yeah, I love going to sports games. Mm-hmm. I think it's really fun, but I just don't watch sport, sports games. <laughs> <laughs> sport <laughs> ball. Like I like I like the sports. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, I, I, I actually, I thought that would be the case, but, but yeah. like I said, I've, it's not, there's not too many people who are from that area who don't at least like you would just, you're just kind of are bombarded with it, whether you want to be or not. Yeah. Like all my friends love Red Sox, I guess women's basketball. For oh, UConn, sure. Yeah. Really big. Yeah. So everyone watches the UConn women's games, mm-hmm. but I'm just like, so far removed from it i feel like yeah. yeah yeah gotcha where is somewhere that you have not traveled to that you still want to get to Ooh, ghana <laughs> yeah i've been trying to go no ghana would be great i i think i am drawn to places that i could like learn mm-hmm. in so ghana would be a big one japan 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 would be amazing yeah I I'm really, especially after COVID, like eager to travel. So yeah. I, at this point, you know, if you, if you name just about any country, it's probably <laughs> quite a few on my list. So it's like, yeah, quite a few. Yeah. Yep. Do you have a go-to karaoke song? Oh, <laughs> definitely Britney Spears. Oh, okay. <laughs> we always used to do karaoke in undergrad and we would have to, we're like, what Britney song are we doing tonight? So yeah, we would always sing Britney Spears. That's for sure. It was always a different one, but mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Any 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 specialties? Is toxic a, a specialty or? That's a good one. It's pretty hard to sing though. <laughs> a lot of them are actually. You need you need some friends up there with you. I feel like at least mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> yeah. Oops, I did it again. That's a good one. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Strangest, funniest, or most bizarre performance moment that involves you. Well, I remember with the Missouri Contemporary Ballet, the last time I was playing, mm-hmm. my pedal would not pair. And I mean, this is, I guess this isn't funny or strange. It's just, just scary. But 
I use oh, for an your iPad. Yeah, I use an iPad, and like my friend afterwards was like, "Were you okay before you guys played?" Because I just kept seeing it was completely dark, and I just kept seeing your blue pedal light like shoot up to the top of the theater, like the theater, because she was on the balcony. Mm-hmm. Just, I just kept seeing your pedal like go off and off and off, and I was like, "Something must be wrong." And I, for some reason, my pedal just stopped pairing. And this was a piece where like I couldn't. There were no page turns possible. I was playing the entire time, mm-hmm. and we're playing with a live ballet behind us, so it's like. I was like, well, <laughs> the good news is I've come and prepared to a couple rehearsals without my pedal. So I know I can run the piece without my pedal. However, this, it was just like, it paired literally as the curtains were opening. And I was like, oh my God. And then, and then we played, but that's the most recent thing in my mind. I can't think of anything else cra- too crazy right now, but I'm sure, there's, I'm sure there's something. I'll think about that one. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty, that's a good, I mean, that's scary. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last question, Emily, one piece of art could be music, movies. Well, it won't be movies for you, but yeah. books, podcasts, <laughs> YouTube clips, <laughs> theater, visual art, anything, poetry yeah. that's impacted you the most recently. I'm going to say podcasts. Okay. Yeah. I am never not listening to a podcast. I've just learned so much about life and other people's lives. And I mean, even finances and um, what's important to other people and even just like comedy. I mean, it's just been such an outlet for me. And I think th- I think this started more intensive throughout the pandemic because it made me feel like I was connected to people in a global sense. Yeah. I think there's so much power in podcasting and I, I, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have like all of the podcasts that I just shuffled through all the time. So what, 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 uh, what podcasts? I listen to a lot. I mean, it's kind of like the reading thing. Like I, <laughs> I like to listen to like heavy stuff. I mean, sometimes I do, I'll listen to like news podcasts here and there, but I listen to a lot of, co- like a lot of comedians mm-hmm. or a lot of like a lot of female comedians, especially, okay. um, guests on and they actually like you know I'm not a huge Chelsea Handler fan but I do listen to her podcast because she has like really interesting guests on and they answer people's questions mm-hmm. uh you know and that's just like a, a, a pretty comedic one but just I, I shuffle through a lot of different females or female comedians or usually people that live live in bigger cities that I'm not living in because mm-hmm. they talk about you know what's big what, what are the new restaurants they went to this weekend. And I just like to know, you know, it's just, it's fun to, to listen and, and learn about the different cities that people live in and all that. So. Who are some of the other, uh, comedians you listen to? This, I listen to a podcast called Oops, which is like two, uh, New York comedians like Francis Ellis and Julio Gallerati. And then, um, I listen to Jared Freed's podcast. He's also a New York comedian. Those are a couple of them. Yeah. But like um, one is called like Girls Gotta Eat. It's like a girls dating podcast, but they'll have like a lot of comedians on or like psychologists on and therapists. They just had like a, someone that specializes in prenups, <laughs> just like really random, but like really interesting. Uh, she was a lawyer mm-hmm. uh, from California and like you got to learn about her life and, and, you know, prenups in case you want to know about that <laughs> but you know just like r- random stuff every week but really really interesting just to hear from different people and yeah 
does Maria Bamford have a podcast? Have you listened? To, do you know who that is? I don't know who that is. Okay, that's so familiar. Okay. Yeah, she's a comedian. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's had a she had a Netflix show, I think called Lady Dynamite. Oh. I've heard her on other podcasts, and she's one of a kind. I'll just put that. Well, way. that's why I like because you know what? A lot of the podcasts I listen to now were because they were guests on another podcast, and then mm. I found their podcast, and then I. I just cycle in and out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. It's safe to say that Emily left a significant impression to all of the Mizzou School of Music community and beyond during her time here. We wish her the best of luck in her overseas endeavors and whatever the future holds beyond that. This week's rave is the 2019 documentary Billy, directed by James Erskine and currently streaming on Hulu. The Billy of the documentary is not, in fact, Billy Eilish, though there are a lot of Billy Eilish documentaries out there. I'm sure they're all great. But this one is about the famed singer Billie Holiday, the legendary vocalist and songwriter who became a major vocal star in the 1930s and stayed popular throughout the rest of her life when she died at age 44 in 1959. The starting point for this documentary was the work of writer and teacher Linda Lipnack Cool, a white American woman who attempted to write an all-encompassing biography of the famed singer throughout the 1970s, but died suddenly of mysterious circumstances in 1978. She had made audio tapes of interviews with many folks who were connected to Holiday's orbit. Musicians, writers, producers, law enforcement, people who were very well connected to her, but none of those interviews saw the light of day until recently because they were all intended for Cool's book. The benefit of time and improved documentary filmmaking now is a chance to provide an updated perspective on Holiday's life and does so while also showing a lot of her live performances digitally cleaned up and colorized for the viewer's enjoyment. Some of the major takeaways from the documentary. One, Billie Holiday tended to live 100 days within one day. She had a voracious appetite for everything that life held. The touring, the singing, the relationships, and unfortunately, the drugs and alcohol. Two, the struggles of traveling and touring as a black musician during the 1930s and 40s were spelled out pretty significantly particularly as it related to frequently lacking housing, having to be the only woman on tour around a bunch of men, having to carry hamburgers in her purse just to ensure she'd be able to eat whenever there was a stop, and in even some cases, due to her lighter skin, having to darken herself for certain audiences. Three, her performance of Strange Fruit was not only a club and performance showstopper during her career and has become one of the most famous protest songs of all time, but further turned federal authorities onto her 
and made her a frequent high-profile target for them to chase for much of her life, particularly in the 1940s and 50s. And they were relentless. And four, as a way of explaining some of her many problematic love relationships, one musician said that she'd get hooked onto those people. And that hook would be extremely difficult to break. There's a lot more to find out during this well-made and fascinating documentary. So check out the documentary, Billy, now streaming. And that's our show. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete's at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then.